Nehemiah. Last message of Nehemiah. And uh, um, I'm trying to think here. Brother uh, I hate when I go blank. Over in North Carolina who's passed away now. But uh, Brother Robertson at Gospel Light Baptist Church, I heard a pastor talking about getting a tour of the church. And I guess that's the thing to do when you have somebody in, you come and give them a tour of your church. And I thought about that, but it would take about 45 seconds. So, so uh, anyway, uh, they they run, a, you know, their time ran about 3,500, and I don't know where they are today. But this pastor said he was being taken on a tour by... Brother Robertson and uh, and walking down these hallways and this and that. Walked by this bulletin board at the time Brother Robertson was in his oh, late 70s, early 80s. Of course, he'd been there for a long, long time, 30, 40-some 40, 40 years or more. And he said he walked by a bulletin board and he stopped and he looked up and there is a there is a there uh, uh, an advertisement for some type of concert coming up, but it was uh, it was some type of uh, CCM, you know, contemporary Christian uh, quasi quote, you know, concert coming up, and he stopped and he looked and he jerked it off the uh, bulletin board and he said, "You can never stop watching. You can never stop watching." And uh, there's always things coming in. And when we come here to Nehemiah 13, um, uh, you can't stop watching. You can't stop watching in your church. You can't stop watching in your personal life because there are always things creeping in and they're always coming in. When you, uh, in the book of Joshua, when uh, towards the end of the book of Joshua, uh, the Bible says, says this in verse 31 of Joshua 24, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And so when Joshua died, boy, you had that generation, you had the next generation, uh, served God, believed God, walked with God, and uh, they, were, they were just doing pretty well uh, in the days of Joshua and in the, in, in the generation after Joshua. But when you get into the book of Judges, you all know this, there's three things that, really, that you really see in the book of Judges. And uh, number one, their leader, Joshua, was dead. And God hasn't given a replacement for Joshua. Joshua is dead, and now the people are kind of on their own uh, to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And one of the reasons why some of this, some of the tribes are still driving out the inhabitants of the land is because they didn't do it in the first place, right? I mean, I, I've, uh, I, I have here Judah, Simeon, Caleb, house of Joseph, right off the bat, man. They, they just ran the inhabitants out out of the land. They got rid of the, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and, and uh, some of the other termites and things like that. They got them all out, right? And, they, 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 and so they had some peace there. But the rest of the tribes of Israel, they didn't. Whether they, were too, they thought they were too strong for them, whether they just uh, you know, were afraid, whatever it was, they didn't do that. And so in chapter 2 of Judges, right, you come to about the 10th verse of Judges chapter 2, and the Bible says this, And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. There's a huge lesson here, really, in that one verse, in our personal life. When we, watch, when we stop, being, stop living a life of obedience, 
and, and, and what, you know, whether, whatever it is that you're driving out of your life, whatever it is that is that God has given you to do, when you stop doing that, watch this, you stop seeing the power of God. You stop seeing the works of God. And then when you stop seeing God working, well, then you kind of start drifting. And it's just this evil cycle that happens, uh, which starts with disobedience. So uh, really, it goes back here to the tribes of Israel. You know, you say, how does Israel get to this place where, where they are here in Judges to where they just did not know the Lord? Well, they got there because they didn't drive the inhabitants out. They got there because they allowed, watch, they allowed the world, let's call it, the, we'll just call it the world. They allowed the world to stay a part of their life and in their land and to get roots and get deeper and deeper and deeper. And before you know it, when the kids come along, that's all they know, right? I had a, a, a young girl several years ago said, I, I know homosexuality is it's wrong and it's disgusting and all of these things, but it just doesn't affect me like the, 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 the vitriol isn't there like it is with, say, our generation. I said, well, that makes sense. It's all you've ever known. You're, you know, they're being honest. They, they know it's not wrong. They're not for it, but they're just like, it doesn't have that same inside of me. Well, they've, they've been numb to it, right? They don't know any different. And this is where Israel was here uh, when they allowed this idolatry to stay in the land. They allowed it to stay, and Israel eventually backed off. Look at this LGBTQIAP uh, group. Look at them. They're still like 2%. Right? But the majority now is accepting of it because they've become entrenched. Because people are like, oh, leave them alone. Oh, it's their own thing. And this is, where, this is what happens when these things are allowed to stay. This is what happens when we allow things to stay in our own life that God has said to get out. When they, as The longer they stay there, the more we get used to them, and uh, the more we're comfortable with it, and we just find ourselves wake up one day have drifted far, far away. So you see this next generation after Joshua, they, watch, they didn't come through the wilderness and see the works of God. Watch. To, to, to walk away from God. They didn't come seeing works and walking away. They never served him in the first place, but started out serving Balaam. And it was a big mess. It really was a big mess. So in the book of Judges, I've told you this before, what you find in the book of Judges is this five-fold pattern that happens because they didn't, they didn't take care of what God told them to take care of. And that five-fold pattern, you can write it down, You'll see it all through the book of Judges. It happens every time. It is sin, then servitude, and then supplication, salvation, and then silence. Sin, they fall into sin. Sin brings what? Bondage. They go into servitude. When they're in servitude long enough, they begin to cry out to God, supplication. God hears them. He saves them, and he saved them by sending a, an, a, a judge. And every time a, a judge was sent, as long as that judge was alive, they were living in, in quietness, and they were living in peace. And it uh, could be 20 years or 40 years, right? But a moment that it seemed like that, that judge died, boy, they were back in sin again. And that cycle would start over. It goes all throughout the book of Judges, right? And so not only is this the pattern in the book of Judges, but it's sometimes a pattern in our own life. It's a pattern in our own life. It shouldn't be that way, but sometimes it is. But this is what is going on in our text tonight in Nehemiah. This is what's happening. It's coming back. It's been almost a thousand years since Joshua had led Israel into the promised land when you come into Nehemiah. 
And it's just the same problem all over again. It's just the same thing coming up again. The pattern of what, what happened. Well, Israel's finally sold off into Babylonian captivity, brought off into captivity. They stay there for 70 years. God uh, raises up uh, King Cyrus, allows them to go back. Uh, Ezra finally goes back. There's a revival among those people. They rebuild the temple and things are going great. And then, uh, uh, you know, Ezra leads them into repentance and things are going wonderful. And then some years later, we are in Nehemiah. Nehemiah shows up. Nehemiah shows up to build the wall, and what do they do? They ask for the Word of God. They begin to get right with God. They begin to confess sin. They begin to implement things in their life that God had told them to have in their life they should have had in the first place. Well, boy, I tell you, revival comes, and they just want the will of God, and they just want that. And uh, there was a, it was great joy, and there was singing, and, and the, the joy was heard, the Bible says, from afar off. They were in a really, really good place, but Nehemiah had to go back to Shushan. His time was up. He was still a he was still an employee. <laughs> All right. He had to go back for a little while. And during this time away, when we show up here in chapter thirteen, they have begun to walk away from God again. Yeah. Now, if you look at chapter thirteen, I want to show you four things that Israel began to allow in that short period that Nehemiah was away. I want to look at four things that they were allowed to do. Look at verse 1. Let's start there, if you would, please. On the day they read in the book of Moses and in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Amen. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, look at verse 4 now, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Now if you remember, Tobiah was a problem. Sanballat and Tobiah, they were coming against Nehemiah constantly. They were not... They were not Israelites, they were they were against everything that was going on. They were a thorn in their side. They were a, they were a, a, a use of Satan. And here it is. We find Nehemiah has been gone, and you, you come and you find out that the priest Eliashib, right, who has the the oversight over the chamber, where all the all of the implement, all of the things of the to to do the the uh, the work of the temple, the the room that it was all housed in, where they kept it all. Okay, was cleaned out, and this guy Tobiah is living there now. Okay, think about that. Think about an enemy that you have. Think about somebody that is absolutely ungodly, and you go on vacation for a little while, or you go to work and you come home, and your kids got your room cleaned out, and they're living in there. Huh. Right? Or what? What? How about this? They've got your prayer closet. They've got your room set up where you meet with the Lord. I mean, you've got a chair. You've got a place. I mean, that, that is special to you. And they've got it all cleaned out. And, boy, they're living in there. It's going to be a little hot, right? It's not. That's not this, this word allied, it's, it's an interesting word. In the Hebrew, it means this, a near or of personal relationship, kinship. Kinship. Hold on a minute. Eliashib, the priest, is related to Tobiah. And I'm going to show you this here at the end, how this goes. 
and how this all comes down. So what is the first problem that, that Israel has had since Nehemiah has been gone is that now you have unbelievers that are taking up place in the temple. You have people that are taking up a, 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 a sanctified place and a set-aside place and, and, a, and a place for God only. These unbelievers and enemies are allowed to just live there. Hey, friend, you do this in your heart. No, we don't do it in a, maybe in a, a physical room, but we do it in our heart. A place that is reserved for God alone. It's a place where we, are, we, we, we should have for, for Him and, and set aside for Him and sanctified unto Him. But oh, so often, so often the world comes into our heart and we give Him place. We give Him place. What an awful thing to do. And uh, look at verse 5. Verse 5, look what it says. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. So don't miss this. The enemy at one time was outside trying to stop the progress of the wall. That same enemy is now yoked together with one of God's priests living in that room and on the inside, which has caused the worship in the temple to come to a stop. Listen, friend, you let Satan into your heart and the worship will stop. You fill up that place that's only for God and the worship comes to a close. It really does. How does this happen? What is going on here? Look at verse 10. Drop down to verse 10. The first thing that happened there is unbelievers in in, in a holy place where they shouldn't have been. Number two, we see here on a practical matter, the priests weren't supported. Look at verse 10. And I perceive that the portion of the Levites had not been given them for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Why weren't they being paid? Well, this 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 God haters living in the temple, the work of the temple is shut down, the offerings have shut down, the worship shut down, and now the priests are having to go back out to their property, to the land that they weren't supposed to be on, uh, to try to make a living. Yeah, it all. Cl- Listen, friend, when we when we let those things in our heart that aren't to be there. I'm telling you, it just begins to all shut down. It all shuts down. You see, what what are the the priests are doing? They're they're having that office of priest. They're offering the the offerings and the sacrifices in obedience to God. They were supposed to be fully supported, right? They had no inheritance in the land. God was their inheritance. And... uh, they're supposed to live off the offerings. Look at verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers. Okay, Nehemiah's back again. This is talking about Nehemiah coming home. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Boy, I could preach for a little bit, huh? <laughs> How many have forsaken the house of God? I mean, just forsaken it. They find, I'm not talking about providentially hindered. I'm like, they're, they're just, the average believer just has forsaken the house of God, right? You came in one day and the, you, uh, Miss Julie made a comment how full up the Alamo or whatever this movie theater was down here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, full of cars, packed full. I wonder how many of those are professing, professing believers, professing Christians. Yeah, they forsake the house of God. Boy, we could, this is what was going on here. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Why is the house of God forsaken? 
And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil under the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries, Shemaiah the priest and Zadok the scribe. And of the Levites, Pedaiah. And next to him was Hanan the son of Zechur, the son of Madaniah. Uh, Madan, uh, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto the brethren. So because Tobias... Tobiah, my grandson's Tobias, not Tobias. Tobiah was living in the storehouse, right? They quit bringing the offerings for the priests. Had nowhere to put it. Oh, it's too full. Yeah. Don't, don't, you, think, don't you think Tobiah's like, ah, just don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Yeah. So what did they do? They left their ministry. They had to go make a living. They had to go make some money. They left the ministry. They went back to the fields to make a ministry. How did this happen? How did, how, did, how did they get to this place? We'll look at verse 15, number 3. The third thing that happened, we're moving right along tonight. For third thing that happened, they forsook, they forsook the Sabbaths. Kind of makes sense, right? If you're not meeting, you can't get into the house of God because it's full of, full of the world, full of unbelievers, I wonder how. I mean, I wonder how much of the church is just so unpalatable to the world because it is so full of the world. They don't see anything different anymore. I remember going to lunch with a guy, and I've told you this: a guy and his brother. And uh, please know know what I mean by this story and uh, this event because I don't mean anything personal by it uh, towards myself. And at lunch, they said this: they just said, "You know, uh, th- there's something that is attractive about you," and we just. We, they wanted. They asked if they could come to lunch. They wanted to hear the God. They wanted to hear about Jesus, <laughs> you know. And I said, I trust you. And I told him, I said, trust me. It's not me that's attractive. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's attractive. Because I'll I, I'd let you down in two seconds. Trust me, right? I wonder. I, I wonder if the house of God is so forsaken because it's so full of the world. There's nothing attractive about it anymore. Yeah. They forsook the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading winepresses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in that day, wherein they sold victuals. I have an audio Bible on my phone, and the guy actually said victuals, not victuals. I said, I like it. That's, I thought, how it's supposed to be. I thought victuals was the, the educated way to say it. But he said victuals, so maybe that's true. I like it. And so uh, here they are working on the Sabbath day. You know, the, what was the Sabbath supposed to be? It was supposed to be a, a type and a picture of God resting. Not that God got to day six and go, man, whew, I'm wiped out. I need a day off. No, he was saying that the work is complete. And it was a picture of our Sabbath who was coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, would, when he would say on the cross, it is finished, right? The Bible says over in Hebrews, there now remaineth a rest for the, for the people of God. And Israel never could find that Sabbath rest in Christ, could they? But it's there for us. But this Sabbath was a picture of rest, a picture of completion, a picture of day one through day six is done. And when they would come on the Sabbath, not only are they just flat out disobeying God's command, but they're ruining a beautiful picture of rest. And so here they are working on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. 
They're selling food. They're selling their wares on the Sabbath day. And notice this here. There's a reminder in verse 18. Look what Nehemiah says. Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath? It's kind of it's like if, if you had siblings growing up and, and you, know, you just got in trouble two days ago. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they just did the two, same thing just the, two days later. It's like, you know, doesn't our backside still hurt? And then you go and do it again? I mean, come on. This is crazy. Right? Nehemiah's like, you know what the destruction, you, you know where we're living, and you bring all this back in again? Now, come on, friends. I mean, this is like, I mean, we live in this pattern, don't we? Didn't, didn't God just forgive you of that yesterday and you woke up this morning in the same way? Didn't God just forgive you last week and, and uh, I mean, you went through it to, to the Lord and with a, a humility of heart and, and you meant it and God forgave you and, and here three days later you're, you're back at it? I mean, it's just, it happens, right? He says, but he says, what are you doing? It's a reminder. Your fathers did this. What you're doing, they did it and it's why we're in the situation that we're in. You know, the, the saying has been attributed to so many different people. Who knows who really said it? But it's true. What man doesn't learn from history is that they don't learn from history. <laughs> right? We just don't learn from history, do we? Yeah. I'm so thankful for the, for the word that God gave me this year, that God is real and God is right. Because over and over, watching people's lives, you see it over and over in the Word of God. The Bible's right. Way of tra- the way of the transgressor is hard. Yeah, God is patient. God is long-suffering. And you see the, pa- the gentleness and the patience of God giving people space to repent. And then you say, well, here they are. And I- I'm just, it comes over and over again. Well, it's what he said. It's what the Word of God said. Yeah. That's what Nehemiah is saying. Your fathers did this. Can't you not learn from it? Right. You're going to bring judgment on us again? Right. Look at the remedy in verse 19. And it came to pass that when the gates that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. And Israel at about but just before 6 p.m. on Friday, uh, all the way till Sunday morning uh, at the hotels. There's not much to eat. They'll put out leftovers. They shut down the coffee machine. Yeah, you can get the regular uh, coffee, but there's no. You'll have no milk or cream for it because they're putting all that away. You have to have black coffee. I mean, they're still to this day. They're shutting down for the Sabbath. All Friday. That's when they greet you on Fridays. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, peace. A Sabbath peace. They're looking forward to that 6 p.m. So sad that they missed their Sabbath peace. They still miss them today, and. Uh, but he said, here, here is the remedy. I'm going to run you out and I'm going to shut the doors. Can I tell you that's a good remedy for the enemies in our own life? Run them out and shut the door. Run them out. Get, get rid of them and shut the door. Right? Change the channel. Shut the computer off. Turn your phone off. Whatever. Run them out. Yeah. Put the book down. Whatever it is. You know, run them out and shut it off. Great great. Great, uh, great pattern here that we see. So how did they get here? 
Here he is, messing up the Sabbath, right? You got unbelievers living in the temple. The priests are back trying to make a living because they don't have any money. That's just a mess. Look at verse 23 through 28. Here's a problem. You're unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Look at verse 23. And in those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto, uh, unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, uh, unto your sons or for yourselves. Look at verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there not a king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless... Even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Nevertheless, outlandish, that word there means adulterous. Adulterous. Yeah. So there's bad, there's bad marriages. There's the wrong assimilation. Their children weren't, be, they weren't, they were assimilating to the pagans. No, we have a generation that is assimilated to the world in our churches. I mean, the carnality, you know, over where it says it speaks about the, you know, the, the, the oh man, I better not because I've forgotten half of it. Never mind, I'll go on because I'll misquote it really badly. But uh, they, they're just so, uh, they're, they have so assimilated to the world, they, they don't even think anything's wrong, right? We have people coming into churches and they seriously, I, they do not know some of their lifestyle is against God. They don't know that. And they just need to be taught. I, you don't need to, you know, kill them over it. They just need to be. They've never been taught, right? And here are these here are these young Jewish kids. They speak, you know, half the Jewish language, half in the, uh, the these pagan languages. They don't. They haven't really assimilated at all. It's the wrong assimilation. They are assimilating to the world, but not unto the children of God, right? Your lang- Hey, your language reveals who your where your allegiance lies. Yeah. That's why it's so good to have a. Have a real Bible language. It's a good thing. It really is. And sometimes it b- betrays those that say they're a Christian. And you hear them talk and you go, boy, I don't know. Really? I'm just talking about how they explain doctrinal things and weird things. And you're like, eh, I don't know if you understand that. Yeah. So here they were. They're led away by the pagan nations. Their children have more allegiance to the pagans than their own nationality. And look at this. Argument verse 26, he said, didn't this happen to Solomon? Solomon has had more wisdom than anybody who's ever lived. Solomon? Wasn't he taken away? And you really think you're going to get away with it? You think you're going to turn out better than him? No, because God's always right. So he had an open rebuke in verse 27. Look what he calls it, an evil this is so good. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? He calls it, it's an evil transgression. Wow, he's pretty serious about it, isn't he? Now look at verse 28. And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, there he is again, that's the high priest. 
or the priest, the high priest. Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Sanballat. So the priest's grandson, now you've got to follow this, one of the sons of Joyada, one of the sons of Joyada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest. As far as I can tell, I'd have to, I might have to focus on that wording, that sequence of wording there. But from what it seems to me is Jehoiada has a son, right? And uh, Jehoiada is the son of Eliashib, and Jehoiada has a son, a grandson of the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Sanballat and Tobiah. You wonder how Tobiah got in? Because the high priest's grandson was son-in-law to Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah was the duo against all of this. Can I tell you something tonight? Satan never stops trying to infiltrate. He never stops. Evil never stops trying to gain ground, ever. And so here they are. And uh, because of all of these unequal relationships, the disobedience, the world that was let in, I mean, they're just back kind of in in a bad spot again. And sin was allowed to infest Israel again. Yep. You can never stop watching. You can never stop watching. When Nehemiah went back to Shushan, he had, he had left Judah in a pretty good place, right? The wall was rebuilt. They're asking for the Word of God. They're changing. I mean, revival had come. They're implementing the Word of God. They're, they're trying to find out anything they can find out in the Word of God and implement it in their life. And the culmination of all of this was, was just great joy, right? There's great joy at the dedication of the temple and uh, great singing, Right? People from afar off, they're hearing about all of this. He left it in a really, really good place. You ever left the house in the morning in a really good place and family shows up and you're like, well, so much for that. (laughs) Your 24 grandkids come over and it's uh, exploded in four seconds. It's like, wow, yeah. Sometimes I've come in and just looked around and I'm like, whoa. (laughs) That was literally about six minutes. (laughs) It's okay, though. They're allowed to. Their parents are not allowed to, but they are. Yeah. He comes back. Hey, Nehemiah comes back and Israel's just backslidden. They're just backslidden. They're out of the will of God again. Yeah. And it happens in our life as well, doesn't it? Revival comes. Sin, God begins to deal with you with some things of sin. Maybe things you didn't even think were sin. Boy, the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you. Not even, I'm not talking about big stuff, right? Listen, if we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we're never, as long as we're breathing air, there's never going to be an area of our life where we're like just, we're done, you know, pulling, the Holy Spirit of God's done pulling sin out of our life, right? Might not look as gargantuan as the things when we first got saved, but there's still sin there, right? And maybe revival came and God pointed something out. Maybe God showed you something last week you hadn't even, wasn't even aware of, and you looked at it and went, wow, hadn't even thought about that. And boy, I tell you, you did some business with the Lord and you got some of those things, whatever it was, you got it taken care of and you met with the Lord about it and the, the joy came back and the peace came back and you were just really enjoying it and 
The preacher's gone home. The revival preacher went back to Arkansas. And all of a sudden, before you know it, before Monday even showed up, the world snuck back in again. Right? I'm telling you, it happens, doesn't it? I'm not making it up. Why? How do I know? Because it happens in my own life. I don't have to make stuff up. I'm, right? Before you know it, before you know it, uh, the world's clutter is just cluttering up your house again. Just move back into your heart again. Just taking, camping out there. The song's gone. The joy's gone. All of these things are gone, you know. Yeah. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is what Nehemiah did. You just got to clean the house again. You got to clean the house again. Yeah. Whatever it is that you allowed back in, you just got to notice it. And, okay, that's got to go again. We've got to get rid of it again. This, this isn't an, uh, an endorsement of the individual who said this, and I've, I have quoted this before, and I think this, this quote is really quite profound and accurate. But uh, John O'Sullivan was a, uh, more of a political type of uh, observer. He was the former editor of the National Review, and uh, he's, I'm not endorsing him because I think he was a homosexual on top of it all, and uh, it's by no means an endorsement. But what he said was really pretty amazing. Remember, the Bible says, I'm going to get to it for a second, but I've just, remember this, the Bible says that, you know, sometimes the children of this world are, are, uh, um, are more wise than the children of God. And uh, John O'Sullivan said, uh, anyone who does not practice conservatism every day will naturally gravitate towards liberalism. If you don't practice godliness every every day, you will naturally gravitate towards liberalism and ungodliness. Backsliding is the easiest thing to do. Christian life, hey, it's 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 a it's a battle. It's a joy, it's a joy. I, I, you know, but it, it is a battle. I've people have tried to figure out what an independent Baptist church is. Said, ah, we're kind of like the Green Beret of churches. You know, we're a little more serious. You got to be tough, right? Now, Martin, give me twenty. No, so <laughs> twenty bucks will do. I just put a driveway in our house at Marionville uh, back 2009, I guess it was. Is that what it was? So I had dug it out and got it all formed up and all this stuff. Poured the concrete and had a concrete guy come and finish it off. And, and uh, probably the best 3500 bucks I'd ever spent. In a long, well, not the best, but it's right up there. Because it was, it was nice to not have stuff tracked in the house and that. And the, the, the gra- it was a gravel driveway. It was in town, but you know the house was built in 1900. And, so probably had about a, at least a hundred and hundred and some years of uh, of uh, you know packing and all that stuff. So it worked great. Poured the concrete and frustrated me a little bit because when they broomed it, they didn't broom it perpendicular with their with their expansion joints. And from my office window, I could look down and see the broom marks go like that, and the expansion joints are like I'm just drove me nuts. <laughs> so. Anyway, but at ground level, it was hard to see, so I just tried not to look at it. But those expansion joints, you know, it was fresh concrete. It was beautiful. Everything was nice. And uh, I tried to uh, always kept those expansion joints hosed out. I like to keep them hosed out. 
because I don't want junk growing up in them. I hate that. And so I'd hose them out and keep everything clean. Well, one time, one one day, I was out in the shop building and out in the garage, and I looked out the side, and I saw a little something sprig out of the one of the expansion joints. I'm like, so I went over and pulled that thing out of there. Just chaps my hide to spend that money and that time and all that. If it's beautiful concrete, have some stupid green thing growing up in the middle of it, right? And uh, so I yanked that thing out of there, right? It had to be cleaned out again, again. Really, that's just a simple picture of our life. Little things spring up every once in a while. Hopefully that's what it is. You know, right? When you get saved, what are you doing? You, it's like it feels like you got the, the tools out and you're digging those things out, hosing and digging and hosing and digging. It feels like you're just really cleaning the life out. But eventually, you know, uh, you, know you get things cleaned up. Sometimes it's, uh, the nice thing of, of it is uh, actually when you're saved, it's, it's a nice fresh start. But sometimes you get so far away from God, it's, I mean, you're, it's, work. it's work to get cleaned out. It's a lot easier if it's just kept clean. And a little something sprigs up every once in a while, and you can just kind of, yeah. I've got some weeds in our backyard I haven't dealt with, and they're literally this tall and about that big around. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some minor surgery on our dirt to get them out. And uh, yeah, what do we see here is the closing of Nehemiah. God can do some wonderful, great things. God can show up in your life and do some awesome stuff. I'm telling you, He will too, and He does. He does. But listen, if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we'll drift back. We'll let things into our heart that shouldn't be there. And in just a matter of time, we're back again to having to do a cleaning job again. And uh, what I am thankful of is when we do recognize the cleaning job, I'm thankful that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a joy that is. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if God told us, well, there's only... I'll give you five free cleanings. After that, you're going to have to pay for them. <laughs> right? Uh, praise the Lord. He doesn't do that. Let's make sure we don't drift back. Let's make sure we don't. God's done some wonderful things. And uh, let's make sure we keep our eyes on Him. And be careful of what we allow into our hearts and lives. And uh, keep, those, keep those expansion joints clean. Keep them cleaned out. And may God help us to do that. Father, thank you tonight. Lord, we know Satan is constantly, always, always after us. The world, the flesh, the devil, always after us. And Lord, would you help us if we, uh, as we leave here tonight, if we have not remembered anything, may we remember this, that Lord, it's a, a work to continue to stay moving forward. And Lord, uh, when we cease to move forward and we cease to, to work and to labor and to be obedient, we naturally fall back into liberalism. We naturally fall away from you. And so, Father, would you help us, Lord, just to keep up the, keep up the fight. Just keep moving forward. Keep obeying. Keep, keep being vigilant. Lord, what, what you said in First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking to whom he may devour. And Lord, would you help us to be sober and vigilant and help us to be awake. The work that you've done in us, Lord, we don't, we don't want to go back from that. We just want to move forward. And would you help us to do that? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
And we'll just have a short invitation here tonight. Why don't you stand and uh, the instrument will play. We just need to spend some time with the Lord today and just say, ask the Lord to help you to be alert. Be alert. Yeah. Circumspect. To be circumspect of the of the world and the flesh and the devil, that is. I mean, do you really think because our revival meeting was over on, on Friday, you really think Satan's going to give you a week just to kind of take a breather before he comes back after you again? Right? Might have got you Friday night. Let's be vigilant. Saturday morning we'll have men's prayer and we may go door knocking we'll see how the weather looks for that be in prayer for the for that for that and for the weekend so all right we'll be closed in a word of prayer uh, tonight brother Davidson would you close us out